This is Becoming, a podcast for teens. Episode number 10, Depression versus Situational Sadness. Hi there, and welcome to Becoming, a podcast for teens and young adults, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. We are your hosts, Tani Beardall and Erica Peterson. We will be interviewing guests with unique experiences and experts in different fields to help us get the most out of each episode. Hello, my friends. I hope you had the best Christmas with your family and friends. We had such a great holiday together. I just don't want it to end. I really don't like that after Christmas lull when all the excitement's over and you have to clean up and get back in the regular swing of things. Just like that on this podcast, I like doing the fun, lighthearted stuff, but there's really serious stuff that needs to be talked about. So that's happening today. Yay! Let's just get to it. If you know me at all, you know that I like to have a ton of fun, to act goofy and laugh a lot, but sometimes you just got to get real. I thrive off of deep connections and being vulnerable with my friends. Today is one of those heavy days. We are going to be talking about depression and mental health. I want you to know that these feelings are normal. I think we would be shocked to realize how many of us have struggled with feelings of anxiety and depression. I know I've had moments of having to deal with those feelings, and I have a lot of friends and family who have dealt with different aspects of depression and anxiety. It's just a part of life, and some of us have to deal with it, so we need to get comfortable with talking about it. I have such strong feelings about destigmatizing the mental health conversation. I know it isn't always easy to talk about, but it is so important. Depression and so many other mental health issues can make us feel very secluded and alone. If we only knew how many other people, your friends even, that are struggling with similar feelings, we would be able to find strength and connection and support with one another. According to a recent study, about 20% of teens experience depression before they reach adulthood. Only 30% of depressed teens are being treated for it. Female teens develop depression twice as often than men. Every 100 minutes, a teen takes their own life. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people ages 15 to 24. These statistics just break my heart. There is help, you guys. There are so many people who love you and want to be there to support you. I think the leading factor to not talking about depression or situational sadness is shame. Unlike guilt, which is a feeling we get when we do something wrong, Shame is a feeling of being something wrong. It is completely unproductive and it is just a big fat lie our brains tell us. When we feel shame connected to mental illness, we are less likely to seek out support, tell our parents or friends about it, and get the necessary treatment. This does not need to be the case. We need to understand that this is no different than any other physical disorder or illness. Would you feel ashamed if you had cancer or diabetes? Would you avoid going to the doctor in fear of how you would be perceived? You absolutely wouldn't. Seeking attention for depression or other mental illnesses should be just the same. 
I really wanted to let you know that when I started this podcast, this episode idea was the one that came to me the strongest. So I'm really excited to focus today on depicting the difference between having clinical depression versus situational sadness. How are we supposed to know the difference? I feel super blessed to have Lee Young as a guest on the podcast today. He is a clinical social worker and has an incredible amount of experience working with teens to help them understand and cope with these feelings. Welcome, Lee. I am so excited you're here with us today, and I really can't wait to give these teens more information that can help them with their feelings of depression. Well, thanks for having me here. I really enjoy uh, working with youth and uh, got a real love for them. Okay, I want to start out with that first question. How do we know if we are struggling with situational sadness or if we really might have clinical depression? One is I think it's very normal to feel stressed out, uh, to feel confused, to feeling down in the dumps, to feeling blues. Uh, kids go through that. Uh, we all go through that at times. Yeah. And, and really know that that's normal. I think where it's kind of moves into the area of being depression is the length of time that it mm-hmm. happens. So if you're feeling that continually for two to three weeks and it gets progressively worse, okay. that's one good sign. Another good sign is that it starts to uh, affect your ability to function in your daily life. So it's affecting your relationships at home. It's affecting your school. It's affecting your grades. It's affecting mm-hmm. how you're interacting with people. So that's really important to know. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I think kids are smart. I think they kind of get a sense that I'm not feeling myself and yeah. this is lasting a long time. That's an indicator that the depression is starting to come along. You're right. We know ourselves. We might just need to take a moment to look at what is going on and be self-aware with how we are feeling. You know, recognizing that this is not quite normal for us or how we would usually handle a situational issue. Right. I mean, and if, if you're you're feeling down and all that, you've had a really bad day, but you get a really good night's rest and you have a good breakfast and you show up at school and you say hi to your friends and you've moved beyond it, that's pretty normal. If you can't get out of bed, you don't want to go to school, you're avoiding your friends, mm-hmm. that's a sign that things are moving in the area of depression. I think it's also important to know that Depression is very real. Yeah. It's not just something that uh, people have made up or think mm-hmm. that it doesn't exist. It really is uh, a change in your brain chemicals. Uh, the, the neurons and the messaging in your brain is not getting through things that are positive or that there's a kind of a jam up or stuck as far mm-hmm. as a messaging that kind of keeps you in a pattern of thinking down or thinking negative about yourself. I want to kind of just mention a few other things that you probably want to look for if you're withdrawn, okay. avoiding situations, if you're feeling hopeless, and that's a persistent thought. Yeah. If there's a big change in your sleeping and eating habits, mm-hmm. one way or another, uh, definitely if thoughts of suicide come, if all of a sudden I don't want to be here, I don't want to live, yeah. that's a huge indicator that depression's there. It's real. Uh, and then also a, a loss of interest in activities and things that you've previously enjoyed. So you're not wanting to engage in a sport or an activity that's always brought you pleasure. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't feel the same to you. That's really important yes. to know. That's something that was absolutely on my mind, too. When you just lose interest in things that have normally brought you joy, 
So let's say you've been having these feelings for a while and you want to talk to your parents about it. Can you give us any tips on how to approach your parents with these feelings that you might be struggling with? Because that can be quite intimidating. Believe it or not, parents have been where you are. At one point, I know it's hard for kids to believe that, that uh, their parents were once exactly where they're at. And most likely they felt uh, at various times what you are feeling now. So if you can kind of see them as not just a parent, but also someone that's gone through something uh, similar to what you're going through. A valuable resource right in front of you. And it's important to reach out. And you need to reach out to people you can trust. And so it just doesn't start all of a sudden if you're feeling depressed or having these feelings. It, It means that before that, you're willing to talk to your parents about things that are happening in your life, who your friends are. Yeah. And, and, and practice that and make a habit. So, when problems come up, and we all are going to face problems, that you're more comfortable reaching out and talking and sharing, mm-hmm. and find someone you trust. And that might, you know, if you don't have that relationship with your parents, build it. But, yeah. but try to find someone, either through your school or through your church or through your friends or somewhere that you can reach out and talk to and start that ball rolling. Those connections are yeah. huge. Oh, I totally agree. I think it's important also for, for all of us to have a better understanding of what we're feeling. Uh, oftentimes, ah, what you're feeling doesn't matter, but in, in, in fact, it really does matter. Yeah. Things lead to those feelings, oftentimes what we're thinking about. Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling happy? Are you Are feeling hopeful? Or are you feeling bad? Be in touch with your feelings and start understanding what those are. It's a really, it's a good habit to get in. Okay, and that just regularly practicing that I think is a big deal. So if parents aren't a feasible option, maybe there's a strained relationship or a parent isn't emotionally available, who is someone that these teens can talk to? Who are other options? Once again, kind of someone that you trust and have a relationship with, you know, that's going to listen to you. And it can be someone at school. It Mm -hmm. can be someone in your church. It can be a friend. It can be a parent of a friend. It can be a grandparent. Oftentimes, uh, kids have good relationships with their grandparents. That's true. You're just reaching out to anyone, uh, not keeping it inside, not pulling away. So find someone. And, mm-hmm. and well, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that you got to get that ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Once you start doing something, it leads to something else. And oftentimes, if you're trying to solve a problem or to start trying to understand, you know, am I depressed and what's going on? One thing leads to another, and then help is is available. So yeah, are school counselors prepared for these sort of things as well? Or mm-hmm. oh, I think absolutely. School counselors uh, understand that this is a very common problem. It's not like you're the only one going through this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would be surprised how many people or kids they hear on a daily and weekly basis talk about feelings of feeling hopeless, feeling guilt, uh, feeling shame. I can't meet up to the ideals, can't meet up to people's expectations. Uh, Really common feelings, and a school counselor is is a good one to reach out to. They will not be shocked when you show up at the doorstep. They've heard it before. Many, many times. Okay, so if we end up talking through our feelings with a parent or trusted adult and we feel like we might just be dealing with a situational issue, what are some ways that we can cope with and overcome that depressed mood? Uh, One is to stay engaged with your friends and being a part of their lives and having them be a part of your (laughs) lives. Friends are very impactful and important at this age. You've got to get interaction. You feel connected. You're engaged. Uh, You stay active. So you can stay active in a, in a school activity, yeah. a church activity, sports, uh, a hobby. And another real good thing is to kind of reach out and help someone else. So if you're able mm-hmm. to give service, 
oftentimes you are able to move past some of the feelings of, ah, this is terrible when you find out, well, I can still help other people. Yeah, that's huge. I just did an episode on gratitude. For me, that's a big thing that kind of pulls me out of those lows is just looking at things to be grateful for. I think that's kind of a big practice that we can continue to do. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I, I think I do also want to mention, you know, some of those are real good positive things to do. I do want to mention things that are going to be really bad. Okay. Let's hear it. We and need to hear these to hear things. Kind of things. One is don't isolate yourself. Don't withdraw. Don't hold yourself up in your room and, and not talk to people. Mm-hmm. Don't turn to drugs and alcohol. That all of a sudden I've, I've got feelings I don't know what to deal with and yeah. I can numb or escape those feelings. Oh, I totally agree. That numbing is so dangerous. Uh, kind of turning to, I call it another world, and that can be social media or mm-hmm. gaming, where that becomes more of who you are than the real person. Yeah. Once again, it's a means of escape. Uh, being sexually promiscuous, you know, reaching mm-hmm. approval of others through ways that don't necessarily bring you support and help. Yep. Also, risk-taking behaviors that all of a sudden I need to feel something, so I'm going to take a lot of risk in my life. All these things are going to create their own problems. It's so they're gonna, true. They're going to make depression or any of those feelings worse. You know, amplify it. And then also they really destroy relationships. And I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of times. None of those things are solutions. If you find yourself doing them, you're just going to be making the problem worse. You're just masking it. It's true. That self-medicating is so dangerous. And I'm so glad you touched on that. So let's talk about how you know when it's time for you to see a therapist. So we've talked about all the ways we're masking and we're avoiding or, you know, different things what we've tried to do to look outside ourselves, be engaged. And let's say that's not working. When do you know it's just time to see a therapist? Well, I'm going to tell you a story. My youngest son, uh, after his sophomore year of high school, we moved him across country to another state from the Washington, D.C. area to the Seattle area. He went there in middle of high school, very difficult time so in his life, hard. and didn't, didn't know anyone, didn't have any friends. All of a sudden has to show up on the first day of school. Ugh. And it was very difficult. And so he started just coming right home from school. Yeah. And then it started to be where he'd come from home from school, go right up into his room and uh, kind of start escaping. I can't tell you how many times he probably watched The Lord of the Rings. But that was his kind of escape <laughs> yeah. method. But then it got progressively worse. He'd come home and go to his room and, and, and need to cry and was feeling so down and hopeless and no friends. I have nowhere to turn. I'm all by myself. Ugh. At that point, uh, as parents, all of a sudden we had to pull him back out and say, yeah, okay, it's heartbreaking. We, we need to seek help and it's okay to seek help. Yeah. And, you know, he's a really smart kid. He knew that he wasn't himself. Yeah. And he wanted to get back to himself. So once you're feeling those things and it progressively gets worse, that's the time to reach out and seek help. I think kids are really smart. If they take a sense of themselves and take a little time to understand, does this not feel like I'm myself? Yeah, we are self-aware. We understand when it's just not feeling right. And well, just kind of continue. So in first, my son reached out and, and we started talking as parents and he said, uh, this is not working. First, he's, he continually begged us, can I please move back and finish my mm-hmm. high school to where I started? Yeah. And we said, no, that's not going to happen. You're going to have to deal with the issue that's in front of you. And we said, well, maybe it's time to see a doctor and talk to a doctor about these feelings. And, and, and me being a therapist, I was very in tuned. And yeah. I would ask him, you know, on a scale of one to 10, tell me how you're feeling today. And he didn't need to explain everything. Sometimes 
sometimes he'd just give me a number, but at least nice. it started him expressing kind of what where he was at. And he got in with the doctor, and sure enough, yeah, the signs were clearly there that he was suffering from depression, and he got on medication. And once again, this is in the middle of high school, so yeah. uh, it, it happens all over the place. It happened to my son, so... Well, I'm so glad that he had you to help him through it. And I think every parent wants the best for their kid and will do anything they can to help them find any way to heal and feel better. I know it can often be intimidating to go to a counselor for the first time. Can you walk us through what a first typical appointment might look like? Well, one is, I think, is the sooner you can start and and seek treatment, the better it is. The longer depression lasts, the more entrenched it's going to be, the Mm. harder it is to kind of Pull Pull yourself out. Out. This is you didn't get into it quickly, and it's not necessarily a quick fix. But mm-hmm. I think as you start therapy, I think typically the f- the first appointment I always work is kind of a chance to get to know each other and just mm-hmm. kind of share uh, part of our lives with each other. And and then also it's important to know what you would like to happen by coming to therapy. That somehow you have kind of a goal. What's your purpose of sure. being there? And I always try to identify what that purpose is. Then I always want to look at right from the beginning, how would you know that you're feeling better? Mm-hmm. And start seeking uh, what that would look like and yeah. what that would sound like and try to get that in a, a very realistic sense because you want to start feeling better as quickly as possible. Yeah. And I no sense in struggling any longer than you have to. So kind of what does it look like when you start feeling better? and See the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and how would you know that you're there? Yeah. So it's important to kind of have get a sense Have a clear of, expectation. Yeah. I like that. And that sounds way less intimidating. I think the first time is probably the hardest just to push yourself to do it. But once you do it once, you'll realize, hey, that wasn't so bad. And I've known personally, you come to like it. And it feels good to go and talk about it and to make progress. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things can happen in therapy as you talk. And everyone's different and every session is kind of different. One, kind of get an understanding of why you're going through what you're doing and how common it is. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, if you were to go to a doctor and you'd broken your leg, you're going to find out exactly what was broken, where it was broken, and how do you want to go about fixing it. You'll also kind of talk about different ways to cope and learning better ways of coping with the stresses of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes difficult events like my son moving in the middle of high school you kind of explore difficult events in your life and how they kind of led to you thinking in a certain way sure i think it's also important for for all of us to kind of recognize patterns and how we get certain places in our life and oftentimes they start with our thinking mm-hmm. how we're thinking about a certain thing often then leads to how we feel about a certain absolutely thing. And then our feelings then are going to lead to kind of our actions and behavior. So a lot of therapy is to kind of understand what you're thinking. And a lot of, if you're thinking negative thought patterns and kind of distorted thought patterns that aren't necessarily how things really are, there's a lot of explanation as far as how to undo some of that negative. That's so valuable to have someone help you work those thoughts out. I think that's wonderful. It's very much a team approach. So So if you do come to realize that you're dealing with the clinical depression, what's a typical treatment plan look like? Medication, therapy, counseling? Uh, by far the most effective treatment is to combine both both medication and counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the medication really deals with the brain chemicals, uh, and it's important to improve the signaling methods in, inside your brain. The counseling, just giving voice to your thoughts and what's going mm-hmm. on, really gives you a lot of power Yeah, and also gives you a chance to re-examine. So the most successful is to do both. The combo. 
And, uh, and it's important to know that what you're feeling and what you're going through is not permanent. It's not long lasting. And this yeah. isn't like kind of a, this is going to go on forever. That's good. Quicker you get on it, the kind of quicker you can get past it. And, and this isn't kind of a long term lasting approach, but let's get on this really quick. I love that. It leads to my next question because I know that could be a concern that if I get on this medication to help me with depression, is it something I need forever? So you're just saying it's not like, oh, you have depression and you have to deal with this medication your whole life. No, absolutely not. And once again, the sooner you deal with it, the, the better and shorter it's going to be. Uh, I'll use the example of my son. He was on an antidepressant medication for about 12 months. Okay. And then he was feeling better, and, and it wasn't just when he started feeling better. It was several months after he was feeling better. He was engaged in school. He was making friends. Mm -hmm. You know, by the end of that year, he was running for student body office. And, so awesome. And he had just a completely different outlook on life. Yeah. And it was very clearly that he was no longer depressed. Yeah. And he knew the difference. It didn't matter if we or others. He knew the difference. Mm -hmm. And it was then time to get off medication. You, you kind of do that gradually. Wean it off. And then... And he's moved forward with his life. So awesome. Hasn't had to be back on it. But he went through a stressor in his life, a major one that needed treatment. Yeah. Sought treatment. And, and I think with the counseling, I, once again, as his parent, would talk about where he's at. And yeah. just kind of get a gauge. And he got where, uh, at times, he would open up and share. And it was important for him to do that. I think that is a really good release to be able to share those feelings. So I know... A a common worry with people going on medication is feeling those numb feelings. Is there a way you can avoid those that numbing feeling when you're on a medication? I think really staying connected and involved, but with therapy and with medication or with life, we want to experience a full range of emotions. Yeah. And it's like a piano. If all you're stuck on is one note, that one note gets pretty tiresome. So if you're on medication and you're finding that, yeah, I'm on one note too much or the depression will put you onto one note. You don't see the full range of, of experiences and emotions. So yeah. be really mindful that you want to be feeling the full range of emotion. That includes also being happy, but also feeling sad. You just don't want one and not the other. Yeah. Do you think our nutrition and exercise level can affect our feelings of depression or anxiety? Oh, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. Exercise has a huge influence. So there's natural mood enhancers, dopamines that are, are released when you exercise. Yeah. And uh, they've proven that actually any exercise is good, but strenuous exercise is even better. Really? It releases more of the chemicals. So exercise is good. Uh, not avoiding meals, particularly breakfast. Okay. So you get up in the morning, you're not lounging in bed all day, but you eat, a, eat some kind of a good breakfast okay. before you start the day. Those two things alone will greatly enhance your mood. I love that we have control over those things. Even if you're not involved in any sport, just moving your body, getting your blood flow and getting those endorphins going, I think is so important. And I think it's also important to not do that by yourself. Typically when you exercise, it's wonderful to do it with someone else. That's you're true. You're engaged with someone else in that. If it's way not. more fun. And if you're, if you're eating, take an opportunity to eat the meals with your family. Mm -hmm. That you're not just eating by yourself and snacking as you go, but it's, it's, you also enjoy the social component, both exercise and eating. Sure, and you're creating those connections at the same time. Well, okay, I have a really heavy question for you. What do I do if I have thoughts of suicide? 
Well, I think uh, one is suicide, particularly among teens, is increasing at an extremely alarming rate. And you have to take it serious. Any of the thoughts, any of the ideation, any of the plans, or actually making some kind of an attempt is something that you need to take very serious. And it's important to reach out uh, immediately. It's important to know that as hopeless and as dark and as down and depressed as you might feel, it's not permanent. Yeah. That it might seem like that, mm-hmm. uh, but it is definitely not a permanent situation. Uh, I always have taken any mention or thoughts or signs of suicide very clearly, and I, if I sense that in any patient that I work with, I'll have we'll we'll get out and I'll have them write down a contract in their own words and in their own writing, and that they commit and promise to reach out. I love that. Whether it be to me, to a hotline, to a friend, to whatever it might be, and then I have them sign it. So this is a contract that you need to make with yourself, that if you're having those thoughts, that you will reach out, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to go forward with those things, that you will reach out and seek some kind of help. I was just going to say that maybe making a promise to yourself right now that that will never be an option and have an an exit strategy. Who are the people you're going to talk to when you get feeling that low? Just have those ideas in your mind. How am I going to deal with this if I ever do feel that way? And, and uh, take it a step further, write it down. Write it down. In your own handwriting and then you sign it. I love that. that. you make a commitment to yourself that you're, you're not going to go forward with that, that you will reach out. That's awesome. Perfect. Uh, so maybe I'm not worried about me having thoughts of suicide, but what if I have a friend who mentions something to me, even as a joke? Well, how do I handle that? Well, once again, you've got to take it very serious. And I think also trust your in- instincts. And if you know your friends, you understand your friends, you've probably seen signs and can recognize signs that they're really not who they have always been. That's true. So you need to take it very serious. You need to reach out. How can I help them? But you really need to encourage them that they need to reach out and seek help. Mm -hmm. And be real frank. Don't be afraid to be as blunt and question as, as clearly as you can be. And ask them repeatedly if those thoughts are still there, how they're dealing with those thoughts, uh, what help they have sought. As, as a good friend, you're going to you're gonna continue with them until they get the help they need. Yeah. Uh, so you've got to take it serious. Agreed. And you're, you're a great support. You're not responsible for them, yeah. but you, you are there to help them reach out and get help. And obviously, if they're speaking this to you, they trust you, and they know that you're there to help them. And even if they tell you not to mention it, but if you just urge them to get the help themselves and realize that hurt feelings are not as important as their safety and mental well-being, just being able to push them to reach out to someone else, you know, a parent, a counselor, anyone available to them that can help them with this. And and really, suicide can be just... uh permanent solution to a temporary problem yeah and these problems aren't persistent and they do go away and so whatever someone's going through at this moment if you look six months down the road they'll not be feeling and thinking the same way it's true so trying to keep that uh, clear mind that that ideation that i'd be better off if i weren't here yeah or i i'm going to start making plans or i'm going to start preparing for that the signs are always there so i think it's really important to be aware Uh, whether it's within families Mm -hmm. and siblings, whether it's your friends, to kind of be aware of what they're going through and then check in repeatedly. I think that's important. I know it's an uncomfortable conversation to feel brave enough to ask him again, but once you do it more regularly, it grows your relationship, honestly. I think you'll be closer, but it is important to repeatedly ask. 
and 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 it's okay if they're checking in with you. Yeah. You know, how are you feeling and what are you thinking? And, and support among peers and friends is so huge. It is. Teens and young adults really do have so much on their plate these days. Expectations can be so high and they have a lot to manage. So how can they learn to manage their overwhelming feelings before they escalate into a depressed state or look for other ways to numb themselves? Well, I guess to start off with, there is a lot of expectations on the youth today, more so than when you or I were kids. I agree. The ideals are very high. You know, I've got to perform at this level to move on and be happy with my life. In reality, where you're at is just learning about yourself how to start building confidence. And one of the most important things is to learn that it's okay to make mistakes. It's Mm -hmm. okay to fail. As a matter of fact, those are positive and good things in your life. Uh, I like the idea that if you can learn to embrace your imperfections, they're part of who you are. And so lessen the expectations and uh, learning to, to laugh at yourself. And it's part of a lifelong process of how do you deal with stress? What are your coping mechanisms? How do you... Uh, get get past stress? How do you reach out? And, and those are just wonderful things to learn and not that we have to be perfect and not make mistakes. Everyone is, is making lots of mistakes and everyone is going through similar experiences of one form or another. It's so true. All right, Lee, I have one last question for you. If you could go back and tell your high school self one piece of advice, what would it be? I had a, a father die when I was two years old well, and so I had a difficult... A home situation and I thought I was the only one so I guess the message right now would be that uh, you're not alone you can look uh, anywhere around you and know that uh, your friends even though it might not appear so are feeling and experiencing similar things to you and it's it's everywhere so know that you're not alone and reach out to find someone you trust and can talk to and share your life with I'm so grateful we got the opportunity to talk to Lee and learn from his wisdom. He helps teenagers regularly, and I think what we learned from him was so valuable. Absolutely. I really hope that you were able to take away some valuable tools that can help you to evaluate your feelings and decide whether or not this is something that you maybe need to have more help with. Mm -hmm. One thing we really want to kind of point out, though, is that if you do need help, listen to your counselor or your doctor and take the medications that are prescribed as prescribed. Yeah. A lot of times people can kind of take that shame and let it creep back in after you've decided to get help and decide, oh, well, I don't want to be somebody who has to take medication. There isn't anything wrong with being somebody who needs to take medication. Not at all. There are physical things in your body that can make you more prone to these situations and this depression is real. It is not something that can always be fixed with diet and exercise. Sometimes medication can help you change your chemical balances, change your physical connections in your brain. And if you allow the medication to work properly, Mm -hmm. it may be something that you don't have to take forever. But if you don't take it as prescribed, it can be much more dangerous and you can have extreme anxiety, extreme depression, and extremely difficult feelings that can lead to a lot scarier things. Good point. We love you guys, and we hope that you can be in touch with what you are feeling. We need to take proper care of our bodies, our minds, and our emotions, so we have the opportunity to progress and continue to become. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please click to subscribe and join us on Instagram. We'll see you next time on Becoming.